Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen of the intergalactic and interdimensional my name is Clinton Cayley. I am the host of a podcast known as Psychedelicast. You happen to be listening to it right now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. We appreciate it. Uh, I know we just doubled up on no trip sitter episodes where you had to hear me uh, talk my shit alone. Um, and I'm happy to uh, let you guys know that today we are not going to do that. I won't be alone in this one. Today we have none other than a behemoth in the not only psychedelic culture, but podcasting culture at large, Mr. Mike Brancatelli of Mikeadelic Podcast is going to be chatting with us today. Uh, I couldn't be more excited to platform him on my show, uh, as his show is one of my favorites available on the web, and he platforms dozens, if not hundreds, of fantastic guests uh, throughout his long run. We're going to discuss his comeuppets and what led to this point uh, his success with Mikeadelic, as well as some of the intersectionality that occurs within the uh, psychedelic community at large. Uh, from his website, MikeBrank.com, M-I-K-E-B-R-A-N-C.com, each week I explore big ideas through a psychedelic point of view with a focus on cognitive liberty. My mission is to create a space for inspiring and unconventional conversations that provoke interesting and unique explorations of deep thoughts and big ideas. If we want to make the world a better place, and I do, then we must look inward and improve ourselves first, but also recognize the external challenge as well. This show aims to bring both those two together in a holistic style approach. The recent explosion of the spread of information that the internet has given us has created more of a raised awareness in the population. We must continue to help in any way we can to have more people awake and aware. This show is all about changing the world and honoring the rights to direct experience, cognitive liberty, and freedom for all human beings. We hope you enjoy it, and if you do, please subscribe and leave five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That is just a little about biography section from his website and uh, once again absolute fanboy f- moment for me to be speaking with uh, Mr. Mike Brancatelli of Mikeadelic Podcast. We are going to get into that interview here momentarily after some brief housekeeping. Thanks guys. Folks, if you or anyone that you know has any product, project, or creative endeavor that you think would via Psychedelicast, please reach out to me or encourage those people that you may know that are involved in those products to reach out to me. Um, We're looking for people like-minded within the community um, to promote via Psychedelicast. Anything that even remotely relates to psychedelia, the high strange, anything that that you think would be up our alley, please reach out to me at clintonkaylee at gmail.com or via our social media links at Psychedelicast on all of those. Thanks, guys. We're really looking for people to work with. We'd love to have you uh, promoted via our show. All right, guys. So we've been running the little promotion for our friends over at the Mystical Heart Collective. By the time this episode comes out, their Be Good to Yourself boot camp will have already ended. I hope you guys were able to use the promo code they offered us, and I hope that you guys got something lasting and important out of that program. Um, knowing John and Sinclair, I don't see how you couldn't have. I myself was unable to be involved in it, although they did offer me a free spot there. Both my last two weekends were busy. Uh, with that being said, I hope you guys were able to uh, get involved. And if you weren't, you should follow the Mystical Heart Collective on social media regardless because they're two wonderful pe- they're two wonderful people doing a wonderful work and I respect them and I think you guys would find something meanif- meaningful in what they do. Uh, beyond that, you can also follow us at Psychedelicast on all social media platforms. Engage with us there. I like to make content, create memes, do cool shit there. Um, 
share news information and things that I think are trippy and cool. So if you want to be involved in an online community that enjoys and promotes that kind of thing, follow us at Psychedelicast. Also, do me a huge favor. Whatever podcatcher you're listening to this show on right now, go down to the bottom or the top, wherever that subscribe button happens to be. Click on it for me. Subscribe to the show so you can stay updated with all of our episodes we drop every week. Um, it would be awesome if you guys would leave me a little bit of a review, drop some stars. Um, if you could do that for me, that would be great. It helps the show to become more recognized and reach more people. Good for all of us. Let's do our psychedelic news story. Um, it's kind of long, but it's very important. So we're going to get into it. And then we're going to hear from Mr. Mike Brancatelli of Mycadelic Podcast. Thanks, guys. Today in Psychedelic News, an article from a frequent contributor to our news segments, uh, although they probably don't know that, um, but we always like to give credit where credit's due. This is from MarijuanaMoment.net. This article was published two days ago on August 4th, 2020, written by a Mr. Ben Adlin. The article is from their politics section entitled, Canada Will Let Terminally Ill Patients Use Psychedelic Mushrooms for End-of-Life Care. Super excited to read this one for you guys. I'm super excited that this is actually taking place. I think this is a big step forward. <clears throat> Four cancer patients in end-of-life care will become the first people in decades to legally possess and consume psilocybin mushrooms in Canada after a landmark decision Tuesday by the country's Minister of Health. The patients petitioned Health Minister Patty Haju back in April for exemptions from the country's laws against psilocybin in order to use psychedelic mushrooms as part of psychotherapy treatment. On Tuesday afternoon, Haju officially granted the patient's request. The nonprofit Theracil will pardon me, the nonprofit Theracil, which assisted with the application, announced. The approvals mark the first publicly known individuals to receive a legal exemption from the Canadian Drugs and Substances Act to access psychedelic therapy, Theracil said, and the first medical patients to legally use psilocybin since the compound became illegal in Canada in 1974. This is the positive result that is possible when good people show genuine compassion. I'm so grateful that I can move forward with the next step of healing, one of the patients, Thomas Hartle, said in a statement on Tuesday. The applicants, as well as various advocates for psychedelic therapy, had personally appealed to Haju via a concerted social media campaign during the months their applications were pending. Health Canada is committed to carefully and thoroughly reviewing each request for an exemption under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act on a case-by-case -case basis, taking into account all relevant considerations, including evidence of potential benefits and risks or harms to the health and safety of Canadians a government spokesperson told Marijuana Moment in an email. These exemptions do not change the fact that the sale and possession of magic mushrooms remain illegal in Canada. In statements issued Tuesday, other patients thanked Haju and said that they were optimistic that more patients will one day have safe, legal access to psilocybin for therapeutic use. I want to thank the Health Minister and Health Canada for approving my request, my request for psilocybin use. The acknowledgement of the pain and anxiety that I have been suffering with means a lot to me, and I am feeling quite emotional today as a result, said Lori Brooks, an applicant from British Columbia. I hope this is just the beginning and that soon all Canadians will be able to access psilocybin for therapeutic use to help with the pain that they are experiencing, without having to petition the government for months to gain permission. Theracil said on Tuesday that it expects more people to petition the government for exemptions following the first four patients' approval. A separate request by the nonprofit to allow therapists to use psychedelics themselves in preparation for treating patients with psilocybin was not addressed in Tuesday's announcement, the group said. The government, in its statement to Marijuana Moment, said that the use of magic mushrooms also comes with risks, including increased heart rate and blood pressure, flashbacks and bad trips that may lead to risk-taking behavior, traumatic injuries, and even death. All four of the patients who receive the new exemptions have been diagnosed with untreatable cancer. Therapists who use psychedelics in their practices say that psilocybin-aided therapy sessions can help patients deal with issues such as depression and anxiety, allowing them to better accept death as a natural part of existence. 
At this point, psilocybin is a reasonable medical choice for these individuals, Theracil's executive director Spencer, Spencer Hawkswell told Marijuana Moment in an interview last month. This is about the minister being compassionate and using her ministerial abilities to help give patients access to something that is going to help them. The therapeutic potential of psychedelics has attracted attention in recent years from a growing number of academics, policymakers, and even the U.S. government. In September of last year, Johns Hopkins University announced the launch of the nation's first ever psychedelic research center, a $17 million project to study whether psychedelics can treat conditions such as opioid use disorder, Alzheimer's disease, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. In June, the University of North Carolina announced a $27 million project funded by the U.S. Department of Defense to research and develop an entirely new class of psychedelic-inspired drugs. The program, UNC said, aims to create new medications to effectively and rapidly treat depression, anxiety, and substance abuse without major side effects. Meanwhile, activists in the U.S. have advocated for state and local level reforms to research, decriminalize, and in some cases even legalize psychedelics. In May 2019, Denver became the first U.S. city to enact such a reform, with voters approving a measure that effectively decriminalized psilocybin possession. Soon after, officials in Oakland, California, decriminalized possession of all plant and fungi-based psychedelics. In January of this year, the City Council in Santa Cruz, California, voted to make the enforcement of laws against psychedelics among the city's lowest enforcement priority. Reformers are pushing for similar changes in other jurisdictions. A proposal in Washington, D.C. would allow voters to decide this fall whether to decriminalize plant and fungi-based psychedelic drugs, including psilocybin, ayahuasca, and ibogaine. A decision on whether that initiative will make the ballot is expected later this week. In Oregon, voters in November will consider a measure that would decriminalize all drugs and expand access to treatment. A separate Oregon proposal would legalize psilocybin therapy, the same therapy sought by the Canadian cancer patients. Lawmakers in Hawaii earlier this year approved a plan to study psilocybin mushrooms medical applications with the goal of eventually legalizing access. So guys, I know that was a long one, but I felt that it was important and here at Psychedelicast, we couldn't be happier to hear that uh, these people who are undergoing something that hopefully none of us will ever have to undergo, facing the inevitable uh, end of your existence. I guess we, well, I don't guess. We all have to face that at some point, but it's kind of like, I think it's different when you know that it's coming and you have a time frame and a timeline of when it's coming. Um, so for people in that predicament and experiencing that in life, uh, that has to be very, very difficult to go through. And it's my personal belief that there is no greater tool to assist in the acceptance of that than the psychedelic experience. So super glad to hear this uh, amazing news out of Canada, our brothers and sisters to the north. Good job, guys. Let's talk to Mike Brancatelli of the Mikeadelic Podcast. Brancatelli, is that how you say it? Yeah, it's uh, that's 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 like ninety nine point nine percent accurate. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it's acceptable. Yeah, it passes. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Sound. Yeah, it's 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 Brancatelli, but you Brancatelli. Know, that's, it's you know, it's a long last name, so you got it. Right on. Uh, it doesn't sound like the name of like a psychedelically centered podcaster. It sounds like a a gangster from the I don't know from the Bronx or something. I think you're from New well, York. That's, that's, that's what I am actually. I'm undercover. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, my mom's from the Bronx. Yeah. Really? Okay. So yeah, I yeah, saw yeah. that you were from New York. So, uh, yeah, the name kind of gave it away a little bit, I guess. I knew some other people from New York, man. Uh, they're real crazy. Um, I used to work for them. They're Italians and they own an Italian restaurant here in Houston, Texas. And, uh, they were some of the craziest, but coolest people that I've ever met or worked for. 
Um, and they would not hesitate to just destroy you verbally, like over the slight for, yeah. the, for the slightest like uh, offense. <laughs> Sound, sounds about accurate. Yeah. 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 They were cool. Well, welcome to Psychedelicast, man. I'm Clint. Um, I host this podcast. We're speaking with Mike Brancatelli. Did I did I get it closer? You got it. You nailed nice. it. Of the Mikeadelic podcast. Um, I'm sure that listeners of my show need no introduction to you because, uh, you know, you've been doing this for a while, man. Um, how, a little bit, yeah. How long have you been yeah. doing producing Mikeadelic? Uh, since 2016. 2016. Yeah, you've got quite a bit of experience mm-hmm. under your belt. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started podcasting in 20, yeah, 20, 2013 or 20, okay. uh, 2014, actually, beginning of 2014. I was with a, uh, doing another show and okay. then I started Mikeadelic in 2016. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's kind of similar to me, except I started my original show in early 2016 and I kind of transitioned into a psychedelically inclined project um, early this year or late last year. Late last year, like December last year, I think. Shit, I can't remember. Awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm a big fan of your show. Uh, it's crazy to me that I get to talk to people like you, and uh, there are a few other names on the list that, like, when I started this podcast or like kind of reinvented it, I was like, okay, here's like ten people that I really, if I get to talk to them, I'll feel like I've accomplished something, or like I don't know, just fanboy shit. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you were definitely nice. Yeah, of course. You were definitely one of the names on the list, so this is kind of a cool moment for me. Oh, thank you. So glad yeah. to have you. So um, we're going to talk about Mikeadelic and your project and kind of your perspective on the psychedelic movement and all that. We'll get into that, but why don't we kind of start at the beginning? What was uh, a young Mike B like before all this took place? Uh, how far back do you want to go? I don't know. <laughs> how far back do you want to go? <laughs> Well, I guess I guess uh, good question. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I was uh, I was sort of um, I guess like you could say a troublemaker. Like I just didn't really like rules and didn't really understand why I had to go to school every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I quite I just questioned a lot of things, and um, and then I got into like a lot of partying and stuff like that, and. Um, but then uh, I started uh, – I had just – I had a really profound psychedelic experience in 2012 and that, that sort of changed everything. So I, I guess I would say uh, that I was, I, was, I was always sort of like – I always had this like questioning, curious mind. And then when I had that psychedelic experience, I was like, oh, yeah, I was right. OK, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've had a similar – my story is kind of similar. What was that uh, psychedelic – what was that experience like? You want to break that down real quick? I'm sure you've done this before on your show, but for for listeners of this show, yeah. So I took LSD at Coachella, and uh, I took a lot of drugs at Coachella. <laughs> and, uh, but it was really, it was really like my first mu- big like music festival. Like you know, I sort of had been more relegated to like the East Coast, New York area, and this was the first time I was like out in California and my friends that I knew from there and. And uh, yeah, it just felt really freeing, really liberating. I had just finished reading Steve Jobs' biography, and he had mentioned that taking LSD was one of the most important things that he had done in his life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I feel way better about taking a whole bunch of it now. And I did. <laughs> and uh, it just uh, it felt very freeing, and it felt very like affirming. Like, okay, everything that I sort of had been – questioning or thinking like I I felt more centered in myself I felt like I could be more myself and I felt more um just like you know more of a joy to be alive yeah that makes sense that resonates I had a uh I had a my first big LSD experience was at a music festival as well that was pretty intense for me that was pretty difficult to navigate just the uh the unexpected intensity of it and then like just the sea of people and like navigating the physically through people and also navigating whatever's happening in your mind. That was quite a challenging experience for me. And I remember thinking like the next day I was like, if I can, if I can make it through that, I think I can make it through anything. Like that. It was just so crazy. Like I remember right when the trip started, everything started to morph and then, 
I would be moving through the crowd and I would kind of see like the path that I should like that's the best way I can describe it is like the path that I should take kind of like open up through the crowd in this like neon trail, almost like a video game. And yeah. uh, it would eventually lead me back over to where my friends were. And, you know, I would be like gone to get a beer or something. And it was just this epic journey to the beer tent and back. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, and it was quite profound, though. And in, in hindsight, I was like, man, I was like watching people's words kind of come out of their mouth. And like I could see the language kind of move through the air and these like vibrational kind of like seeing sounds is a good way to describe it. And a good deal, many other, mm. mm-hmm. a good deal, many other bizarre and profound things happened. Previous to that, I wasn't uh, totally naive to psychedelics. I had taken low doses of psilocybin, but that was probably my first high dose experience that I really wasn't prepared for, especially being in that grand scheme of public. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't expecting it to be that crazy. And it, and it was mind boggling. So, uh, nice. Yeah. You made it through. <laughs> I did. I did. I made it through, but uh, there were some points there where I didn't think I was going to for sure. <laughs> and since then I've had some other, you know, big experiences that have, that have, but I think that was one of the ones that kind of almost transitioned from like recreation into a spiritual type experience because I, like I said, I had taken the low dose psilocybin and I had taken a high dose salvia trip, which was brutally intense and just I was just not prepared for that in any by any sense um but I think that was my first experience approaching on like the spiritual where I saw okay this is beyond funny colors and melting walls and stuff you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah um so I guess that kind of gets into my next question what led you into the world of the psychedelic um what happened? How did your life go post that uh, LSD experience and what led you further down the rabbit hole as people like to say? Yeah. Uh, I just had such a good time and, uh, you know, I, I, I had definitely more of a spiritual type experience cause I also had been like eating psychedelics and, and doing, you know, quite bigger doses, but uh, I, I was sort of mixing them with all kinds of other things and just looking at them as just like a drug to go out and party with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that was my first sort of, um, like spiritual awakening, I guess I would say. And so, uh, that, uh, I, I started to look at like, well, what is this? Like, where did it come? Cause I never did that before. And, uh, I started to find out about, uh, Timothy Leary and, and I've heard the name before, but I really looked into like what was going on at Harvard and Aldous Huxley and, um, you know, the, those psychedelic writers and authors and thinkers and, um, you know, just, just that the whole sort of pantheon of psychedelic pioneers and, uh, started to get into it. Found Terrence McKenna, found Alan Watts, found Ram Dass, started listening to a lot of their talks, reading their books and, uh, um, experimenting myself and, uh, just kept doing that. And, uh, at the time I was like, I was living in New York, I was doing stand up comedy and I was doing, um, a podcast, a political podcast. And I really was just having this itch to talk about psychedelics and get into more of like the esoteric and spiritual kind of conversations. And, uh, so then, yeah, I started my uh, in 2016. Okay, and that's a pretty good confluence of that. That kind of brings up something I would I wanted to touch on because, like I said, I've listened to your show and I've been I've been kind of following you in the shadows, you know, just lurking and, and following your projects and stuff. And I see that you're also very uh, politically inclined, and I also can see that kind of comedy streak. Um, and I think that's a an interesting intersection that we see quite often. Um, in today's, I guess even in pot, you could even say podcasting being a fourth intersection, like these politically inclined, psychedelic using, funny podcasters. It's a big thing right now, right? What is the draw for, what is it that that unites those 
three or four concepts together, maybe exclude podcasting, just say psychedelic uh, exploration, uh, politics, and comedy. What is it that kind of like, yeah. what is it that people like to, are involved in all three of those things? Yeah, I, I sort of hate the word politics. I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess I do talk about it, but I, I, I really, to answer your question, it's more of just like, why, why are we here? You know, it's the metaphysical questions for me, mm -hmm. you know, um, why are we here? Uh, what are we, what are, what have we done in terms of like, uh, humanity in this reality? What, uh, how, how, how can we best learn to get along, communicate, organize, um, and what, uh, what's the best way for people to experience this, this reality in the best way possible. And, uh, yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I look, I've, I've, I was like born with just this like questioning mind and like, I just look at a lot of things as being like silly and absurd. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in those kind of like bigger philosophical questions. And, um, yeah, I would just say that I think that, uh, psychedelics helps me to remember. It helps me to go inward. It helps me to see. Uh, and then using sort of like my voice or, or whatever to uh, bring a little bit more light to, to the sometimes tense and hostile territory of like the political, societal, you know, arena, civilizational arena, and, uh, and talk about the big things that I find really interesting. I'm really really interested in what, how we're like made up as human beings, as individuals and how we associate with group. Side note guys, right here. Um, for some reason, my recording cut out on me, but it was literally for like 15 seconds. I tried to splice it back together in a way that would make sense, but I couldn't really. So I'm just going to let it roll with where I picked up the recording and you probably only missed maybe 10 to 15 seconds of the conversation at this point is what it is. Technical difficulty. That's interesting, and it, it brings me to an, a point um, that I was thinking about while you're talking is that I think that maybe when I started using psychedelics, I also became more interested in, in politics or activism or however you want to phrase it, being more um, involved in the world around me because I'm experiencing these profound realms within myself. You know, As I'm take, undergoing these psychedelic experiences, I'm having what uh, seemed to be to me very profound, life-altering things um, happen, or I'm being shown, uh, taught these lessons, etc. And I'm like, okay, but now I'm back in reality, and the world around me doesn't reflect any of these, or most of these things that I'm learning, or these valuable lessons I'm being taught on in the psychedelic experience, on the other side, whatever you want to call it, however you want to phrase that. And so I think it brings it. It almost um, it's almost a part of like integration, which is a really popular, I guess, catchphrase or buzzword right now. That I never heard that word growing up. I've talked about that on other podcasts. Like when we were taking mushrooms and acid and stuff in the mid to late two thousands, we never talked about integrating or like, you know, we would talk about our trips and stuff, but that word never came up. So that that always kind of uh, I kind of giggle at that word just. I understand the concept yeah. and I think it's important. And I think that being involved, becoming involved uh, politically or being active in your local community is a side effect of the psychedelic experience because it's, you know, it, it, and it comes in levels. It's like levels of evolution. First, you just want to tell people, oh my God, I had this crazy trip. Like, you're not going to believe this shit. Like the walls were melting. I'm getting these, what may seem to be entity encounters or I'm seeing crazy colors or everything's breathing. And then, you know, the more that you undergo these experiences, the more you're like, okay, this is beyond funny colors in my mushroom trip and bendy light rays and stuff like that. This is like showing me how to be a better person personally. And it almost just kind of creates this drive to not only expound or sermonize the psychedelic experience, but to share and help others who are maybe not undergoing these experiences at least get a taste of like integrating some of these things that you're learning. Um, and I feel that kind of ties into comedy as well. Um, comedy being the art form of those who want to, you know, kind of make 
other people laugh or bring joy to other people's lives. Once again, they, it's kind of an integ- integrative process um, to deliver comedy, produce comedy. Um, and I, I can kind of see how those things all seem to tie together in an almost collaborative, integrative sense. Mm. That's, I don't yeah. know, it's just something that kind of came to me while you were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, integrating the psychedelic experience on a more of a collective level rather than just on the individual level, which is important as well. But I mean, we've seen it through history. A lot of the, um, you know, the, the images of the pantheon of gods and goddesses and the myths and, the you know, sort of pre pre-colonial, uh, hunter gatherer type of, uh, tribes and, had practices of altered states, altered state practices, whether it was, you know, chanting or dancing around a fire or, you know, drinking or consuming something or smoking something or just some kind of, of ritual, some kind of ceremony to, to, uh, achieve, to, to, you know, enter into those like liminal realms and, and to color the landscape of the environment in which they found themselves in to give meaning and purpose, you know, to, to, to life. And, um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's been happening for, for a long time. And, uh, and we've sort of, you know, in in what Graham Hancock says is we've sort of severed our connection with that. We've sort of lost our way with that connection. And what do we get? We sort of the world that we have now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like that aspect of it. I like sort of that, uh, that fun, you know, funny, almost trickster, like, like mythos of, of, uh, of experience of bringing that back, bringing, you know, much like the piece of art that you have behind you. Like it's, you know, that was brought back from a a realm to sort of influence, uh, or, or create a sort of experience in this world and Mm -hmm. to show other people like, Hey, look what I brought back from the vaults of infinite, you know, eternity that was (laughs) just like waiting up there. All I had to do is, was ingest something and go a little bit, get out of my own head for a little bit and get, go get it and bring it back so other people can enjoy it. And yeah, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings me to another thought is that, you know, in some way I grew up in a Christian, in a pretty hardcore right-wing conservative Christian Southern lifestyle. Like my parents were hardcore Christian, very conservative. We went to church a lot. And looking back now that I no longer hold most of those beliefs, I would say that they've just kind of changed over time and altered. They're not, I I definitely wouldn't be like the Christian God is the one true God. The Bible is absolute truth. You know, that to me that none of that makes any sense. Partially because of my psychedelic experiences. And I kind of went on a, uh, a, a spiritual roller coaster like that. I think the psychedelic experience early in my life when I was probably a little more jaded and maybe angry and maybe resentful as a younger man, I think it, it pushed me toward like an atheistic view of the world or a very uh, almost like logically cold nihilistic view. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I've had other experiences with ayahuasca particularly that were so profoundly spiritual and so far beyond the realm of like my own capability for logical comprehension that I'm like, there's no way, there's no way. And that kind of, that kind of almost like flipped me back to the other side to where now I'm like, okay, the spiritual world exists. There is life after this. There is something going on that is beyond my capability to understand. Does it fall into the relegation of my youth? No, more than likely not. That doesn't make much sense to me. The point that I'm trying to get at in a roundabout way is that I think so many of us or all of us, really all of us are searching for this, uh, what, what you were speaking about earlier, these purposes in life or this meaning of why we're here or this understanding of what we're doing here. And we all go about it in different ways. The people that I grew up with, they look at the way that I have chosen to go about it now in a very like with a very um just negative outlook, very they think it's extremely bizarre. Um just for an a slight anecdote, someone who's very close to me has a young child. They live near me as well. They're part of my family. And the child started having nightmares a couple months ago, like a three-year-old kid. I mean, in my estimation, that's just like 
what three-year-olds do sometimes is have nightmares, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the grandparents of the child are very hardcore right-wing conservative, like I just described. They knew that I had gone to Peru to drink ayahuasca. The first thing that they said to this person was, well, what do you think that Clint brought back from Peru with him? Like as as mm. if like I had carried some sort of like right. spiritual kind of demon or something, malady yeah. back from Peru. Once again, uh, just to get to, around to the point that we're all doing this and we're all doing it in different ways and – you know, a lot of these things seem bizarre to the uninitiated, uninitiated, if you will. Um, yeah. But I've been in so many psychedelic, like plant medicine ceremonies, where the people leading the ceremony are almost identical to like the pastors of my youth. Like they're hilarious. They're making like funny dad jokes. Like particularly in peyote ceremonies here in the in the south. Like the the sh- the roadman that I've sat with, if you weren't sitting in a teepee eating peyote, you could you would be like in a church like on a Sunday afternoon, and mm-hmm. uh, I just mm-hmm. find those parallels interesting and how similar they really are. Although at face value they look so vastly different, but in like kind of in the in the purpose of it, it's like so similar. It's to help us get closer to Creator God infinite, whatever the way you look yeah. at it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Everybody chooses a different Halloween costume to wear, you know, some were more popular than the others, but I think it's a lot of the sort of negative or hostile, aggressive, authoritative, authoritarian reactions or responses that one would get from, you know, like you mentioned, kind of pursuing a path that you feel is more in alignment with you is uh, a sense of fear. You know, I think that it, it's really, uh, I guess it really is as simple as like living in, living in fear and, and living in, in love and living with the sort of surrendering to life and surrendering to the, the service of all that life has to offer in its, you know, in, in its natural form and in, in a form that feels in more alignment with us. I, I think anybody that is, um, you know, and like I mentioned before, the the people that were practicing with entheogens and, and psychedelics and altered states in the past have always met with this resistance. You know, the resistance to conform to the the church or the mostly a lot. You know, the Catholic Church were the ones that sort of uh, you know sacked the the temple of Eleusis in Greece, where they were doing the 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 rituals with with kaikion which is like a uh, sort of ergot based i think uh, psychedelic or people have i think speculated it might have been something like a psilocybin as well but um but yeah it's always been this fear you know fear uh and the, the need to control the need to um understand reality in a way that that comforts and makes sense to you and especially people in your family right you know everybody has it's like you're part of a movie and you've got your script and you've got your lines and they're like, Oh, he's going to come in now. Clint's going to say this. Clint's going to do that. He, they sort of, they get you, they know where you're going to, they know what you're about. Once you start to go off script and start improving, it's like, Hey man, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're going to, you're going to little production here. You're fucking you know? up the and, movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's, 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 you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the sort of core fundamental, um, issues of, of just being a human being on this planet is like, can we allow other people, can we like respect other people's choices and allow them to diverge in ways that maybe we don't think are appropriate or that we don't agree with? Yeah. But it seems like, I don't know, maybe this is just, well, this is one of my personal biases for sure, but controlled or organized religion rather organized religion just seems like it's like the whole thing is built around this like fear control, uh, like a mechanism of control through ultimate fear, which I've talked about this before with other people. Yeah. I think I've talked about on the show too. It's like when you're a parent dealing with the child, you know, throughout time, there've been these anecdotes or these stories, like the boogeyman lives in your closet or whatever, what have you, um, through different cultures, it's, it's a different meme and a different culture. 
but uh, basically they're these fear control mechanisms where you tell you want your kid to stay in bed and go to sleep at X time and the kid doesn't want to. They want to get up, run around, play with their toys. Well, you tell them, hey, if you don't stay in bed under the covers, the boogeyman's going to come out of the closet and get you. So that's like the child having this authority to him this or to him or her, this great authority figure, right? Their parent, like ultimate authority basically. And they're telling you what you're supposed to perceive as true because that's all you know. It's like the church is the same thing for adults, except it's mm-hmm. it's like flexing the ultimate fear control mechanism, which is if you don't do what we say, and that what we say depends changes depending on culture and religion, then you are going to have to pay the ultimate price, which is the loss of your life, the loss of your eternal soul. It's like the scariest fucking thing ever. Yeah. As a as a small human being, mm-hmm. you know insignificant in the grand scheme of things in one aspect or one way of looking at it um that this super being is or set of beings are displeased with you and you don't get to live anymore like you're you you don't even get to experience the afterlife you have to go to hell and so it's like man they just made up all this shit to scare us literally scare the shit out of us so we do what they want which is ambiguous by culture yeah well i mean they're they're believing in it too i mean i don't know if every single one is but i know you know for certain it's uh, a byproduct of collective collective agreements and beliefs you know and and we're and we're not just vic you know the people that are into that kind of thing aren't just victims of that but are also you know participants in it because it it serves their particular you know, life story arc or narrative or whatever it is, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why, you know, Robert Anton Wilson uses the phrase reality tunnels, which just means sort of like the, the amount of, you know, data that you experience in your limited sort of tunnel of life. You know, why do you find out about things when you find out about them? Why do you, you know, why do certain things come into your purview and and others don't, you know, it's just the sort of tunnel that you're in. So yeah, with, with religion, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I look at it more as sort of a, rather than sort of this like monolithic, um, authoritarian like entity that's like dominating over people, but well, we're also participating in it. You know, we also want that. We want the security to know that if we're good little boys and girls, we're going to go to a place that's nice. Or, you know, we want the, the sort of, um, the foundation to, to know that, uh, our, you know, that we're going and we're, we're conditioned that, you know, like you mentioned from birth, like we're conditioned that way. And then we go to school and it's, you know, the sort of obedience model, you know, if you're good, you get a star. If you're even better, you, you get an A and, you know, so, uh, in a way we, uh, you know, human beings, we're very much, uh, attracted to people that offer solutions, you know, uh, the people that, that offer hope, the people that offer, uh, rewards, and uh, and we're willing to tolerate. Well, obviously there's punishments, and we're willing to even turn on other people to say that if you're not gonna uh, conform to that, then you're bad because it it justifies our decisions, it justifies our position, and and gives us a, a feeling of of moral superiority and and general sense of goodness. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I remember having these like moments of revelation or whatever you want to call it uh during the psychedelic experience where it's it's like i'm going through this like inner turmoil as a mid mid 20 somethings where i'm kind of really letting go of the religion of my childhood which was quite a internal battle for me because i would literally be like man these things that i'm thinking and these things that i'm saying are like blasphemy or like heresy it, in the religion that I've been born and raised into. And so for me to continue questioning these things and even denying these things or deciding that these things aren't true, it's like what hangs in the balance here in my mind is my eternal soul, you know? Yeah. And I have yeah. to I have to kind of like slowly like peel those layers away, like not just through psychedelic experience, but just in my everyday life, like just coming up against these things that I'm like this cannot be justified. The Bible, there's no way, like all these things, you know? And then I remember having these moments in the psychedelic experience where it's like 
telling me to like, just let go of all that, like relieve myself of that. Just kind of like accept yourself for just what you are as a human being without your beliefs and without all the constraints that you've like kind of all these constructs and frameworks you've built in your mind. Um, because more than likely most of it's founded on nonsense and it's bullshit in the first place. <laughs> like, yeah. And, well, it might, it might not work for you, you know? Yeah. And it was, you might, you might feel, you might feel different than what you're being told. Yeah, exactly. And I was, and it took me a while to kind of, uh, mitigate that in my own mind and it's still like honestly it still does come up from time to time because that's still the world that i find myself in in with my friends and family it's just that's the part of the country i live in and that's my circle of communication and so a lot of times um this is like a great out that podcast is a great outlet for me because i can talk about all this weird esoteric psychedelic shit on here and i don't have to just like hose all the normal the normal people in my life down with all this stuff that they don't want to hear and talk about yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um so i'm you know like i said i've been i've been listening to your show and paying attention to what you're doing for a while you have a a wide variety of guests on in a wide range of topics and it doesn't all adhere to what I would call the strictly psychedelic um you just you kind of run the gamut of various I, I would say they all kind of fit into maybe like a spirituality or a consciousness exploration kind of genre but not strictly psychedelic mm. what leads you into these other areas of interest uh these broader areas of interest it's just what I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think I think originally the original intention from the show, you know, I was doing, like I said, I was doing comedy and I was doing a, a show about politics with my friend Dave Smith, and um, and the show was called Part of the Problem, and we were both libertarians, and we were sort of like coming at politics from a libertarian angle and with comedy, and as I was getting more you know, sort of esoteric and psychedelic and stuff. I was trying to infuse that in there, but it didn't really fit. So I wound up leaving the show and I, I was like, all right, I'm really, I'm really interested in the, the, the philosophical ideas of liberty. And I really feel that the psychedelic experience is congruent with that. Like, the, you know, the idea of cognitive liberty, sovereignty, like bodily autonomy that we own ourselves and it's our right to put whatever we want into our bodies and alter our minds in whichever way we want. And so the the show kind of like birthed from that place. And so I was really interested, I'm interested in talking to anybody who is you know, in the psychedelic realm or in the realm of just like questioning the status quo, you know, um, anybody that is uh, attracted to, you know, the, the sort of ideas of, uh, uh, freedom and, and liberation and, and, uh, self-empowerment. Sure. Sure. Are you still, do you still, uh, fall under a libertarian category? Is that what you would call yourself at this point? Or it's hard to say, because when you say libertarian, I think there's that, that word comes with so many different images and so many different meanings, you know, and, um, you know, then I, the other word that I would say would be anarchist, but then that also comes with its own, you know, baggage as well. So mm-hmm. it's tricky to talk about. I mean, I really, I guess I would say if I had, if I, if there was like, you know, if I was being, uh, asked to categorize myself, I'd say, yeah, I probably lean more in that direction. I'm just, I'm just for empowering people be, you know, the individuals that they are here to be and, uh, trying to, you know, come to, uh, arrangements and agreements in a, a voluntary and peaceful way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that core fundamental of, of libertarianism that I was attracted to is something called the non-aggression principle, which could also be like, you know, the interpreted as like the golden rule, right? It's like, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Don't, you know, don't hurt other people and don't steal their stuff. I mean, that seems, seems pretty good to me as like a general guideline to follow. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that if that, if there was a, if there was a way that, uh, that we could sort of organize in that, in that direction, I think we'd have, we'd see a lot more, uh, we'd see a lot more of peace and a lot more flourishing and, and happiness. I tend to agree with you on that. And I know that was kind of a loaded question. I put you on the spot there, but, uh, I think you filled it very well. 
that's kind of a tough one to uh to address. But um so what what's the future of Mycadelic look like right now? What kind of uh what kind of projects you got your fingers in uh as far as the show goes? Yeah, uh that's interesting. I I don't really have anything. I I have things that I'm thinking about, but I I don't necessarily know if I want to share them because I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to go, but um I'm thinking about I am thinking about doing some more limited uh not limited but doing more of like um like micro doses of of video content because uh oftentimes like I've been doing this show for you know 4 years now and so uh there's a lot of stuff that I'll say in the show but it's like okay where where did I talk about you know the war on drugs and sort of like rattle off all that stuff well, it's dispersed through like 20 different episodes or something. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about maybe just kind of condensing some subjects that I feel that I'm like really well versed on and that I'm most passionate about and kind of putting that into like a maybe like a 10 minute kind of video form. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. I'm going to steal that from you. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't, steal it. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't talked enough on this podcast to do that yet. Um, one of the things that I do is I actually intersperse my interview episodes with what I call no trip sitter episodes. So I, and I wanted to talk to you about this cause I see that you do this as well. Um, is that you do solo segments and you do some quite long ones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was listening to one this morning. I was like, God damn dude, this, and I, I respect that because I used to, my initial show was a solo show and I don't know. I just kind of got burnt out on it. I was like, I don't know how anybody would want to listen to me fucking just ramble for like an hour and a half, you know, but that was just me kind of like being hard on myself. And I learned a lot from that experience, but, uh, I interspersed the interview segments with what I call no trip sitters. And in those, I usually do like, uh, I like to write little blog spot type stuff. I I just write in general. It's a good integrative process for me. I particularly Mm -hmm. like to kind of translate the experiences that I have in the psychedelic realm as opposed to like give a trip report if that makes sense I'm kind of yeah. I'm kind of trying to narrate uh what I'm feeling or what I'm getting out of it instead of just saying oh like there was a bunch of crazy geometric patterns and the walls were breathing and and you know just a little deeper than your just basic trip report um, and so I intersperse those with the interviews and those are usually about 30 minutes and I'll do like the actual reading of the piece that I wrote or sometimes I'll kind of splice them together um, and then I'll backstory it or explain a little bit more in detail about kind of my headspace and where I was going. And that helps uh, – that gives me a nice creative outlet in general. Like it really kind of gives me a sense of satisfaction. Like I love talking to people like you and I love collecting these good interviews. Um, But interspersing it with that strictly creative uh, portion, it gives me like a refresher every other week. Like I I don't feel – sometimes, you know, this is like people don't think but this is like a job, dude. Like you have to schedule everything, record everything, edit everything, make cool content, get people interested, promote your shit. Like it's a lot to do. And it can get like yeah. you can burn out. I mean, I'm sure you're well you're well aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's nice for me to have that creative aspect that's strictly about my own creativity and like kind of shameless self promotion. Um, yeah, and it helps keep me motivated to do the kind of more monotonous aspects of of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I thought the same thing. I I think I started recording solo solo casts like uh, pretty early on and I, I remember i was i think i was uploading to soundcloud like early on and uh i don't i don't anymore but soundcloud people could comment you know on the track and um i don't know why i, I guess i just felt like it was more of like an insulated community i guess it, it kind of was um but I was, I still was publishing other places, but for some reason I was like paying attention to that SoundCloud community and, uh, I would just put these episodes out and it would just be solo and I'd be like, this is, uh, insane, you know, like who's <laughs> going to want to listen to this. Um, but I got a lot of good feedback and that's the, that's really the only thing 
that uh, that kept me doing it. It was like people saying, "This is good, keep doing it," and I'm like, "All right, I'll keep doing it then." And so now it's it's uh, it's this pretty well established muscle that I have where I can just go off on something for two hours or whatever, and uh, probably more. But I I don't want to uh, you know beat people over the head too much. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's a fun creative exercise. I would say if you're drawn to that, do it, and uh, you know just just do it the way that you're doing it. Do it badly. You know, at first that's, that's the advice that I, I've like stuck onto a lot is like, if you want to do something, I think, I think Jordan Peterson said that actually, he was like, just do it and do it badly. And then eventually you'll be better at it. Like, you know, you're not going to be like perfect at it right away. So just keep doing it. For sure. For sure. And uh, I, I definitely, I used to do that. I used to take that route with a long kind of, I, I don't know. And maybe I was getting there somewhere with that. But when I when I transitioned, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I want to keep the creative aspect of it, but I want it to be short and sweet, so people just don't have to get inundated by my own thoughts, because I really want the show to be centric of of the guests and the ideas that the guests are putting forth. And uh, I feel pretty good. Yeah. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I'm also to- tossing around some other ways to like. I'm trying to get involved with Patreon. Figure something out in there. Do you use Patreon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it it used to be, but it's it just keeps getting worse. Um, you know, the sales tax and just the percentages that they take and stuff. And yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I I'd like to find a better platform or just a different way. But uh, yeah, I have a good crowd on there, and uh, we have like a little private Discord chat and stuff like that. So oh, yeah, what, I mean, it's been good. That's what's yeah. up. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm just to- I'm tossing that idea around right now. I think I have a pretty good concept for how I'd like to work it, but I'm gonna put that into play later. I'm not sure. Um, do you want to go ahead and plug your Patreon? Tell us, tell our listeners where they can find you and all that good stuff. Where to listen to the show, and um, we can let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Patreon.com/slash Mike Brank B R A N C. I uh. Ellis Island, my my last name for the internet. Uh, so my website's Mike Brank B R A N C. You can find everything on there. And then the podcast Mike Adelic is just everywhere. Wherever you listen to podcasts, find it everywhere. Right on, man. Well, I have some other things I need to do today, dude. So I'm gonna have to <clears throat> take my leave at this point. But hey, I really appreciate you um, meeting up with me online and chatting with me and doing my show. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it means yeah. Thanks lot. for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, it means a lot. Whenever you guys who and and my eyes are big name podcasters come on the show because I'm I'm just a little guy and uh, I get to fanboy and chat with you guys and meet you guys meet. Um, so yeah, I really. Well, I, I was sitting where you were sitting once before, so for sure. And you know, so far the the guys that I've talked to in in this position are generally excited or at least happy to do this because they don't have to. You know, you can. I can grill you and ask you shit and like, you can do whatever you want. So <laughs> well, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, hopefully we'll run into each other somewhere out there in real life and we'll definitely, uh, do this again at some point. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Clint. Have a good one. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you. There it is, folks. Mr. Mike Brancatelli of Mikeadelic fame. Um, super cool guy. Help me keep that conversation moving right along. I don't know. I've talked to you guys about this before, but sometimes as I edit these and listen back and things, I am pretty hard on myself about silly, which probably to you, the listener, doesn't even come up, but I hear it and I see it. And I felt there was a little bit of dead air there and I wasn't doing the best job of keeping the conversation moving. But I think it turned out great because Mike is well-versed in this art form. And so where I faltered, he was able to pick up some slack. Um, I would definitely love to chat with him again and get deeper into some of these things we were discussing at this point. Regardless, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast and that chat with Mike. I know I certainly did. Really cool dude. Um, Love his show. He listed off where you can find him and get involved with all of his work there at the end. I highly recommend you do that. If you're not already a fan or follower of Mike, uh, you should do that on all the social media platforms and check out Mike Adelic. It's a fantastic podcast. And like we discussed in that episode, uh, Mike is not even 
strictly interviewing what I would call mainstream psychedelic thinkers or speakers or minds in just mainstream psychedelia. He's interviewing all kinds of tangential figures in spiritual science, philosophy, art. Uh, he just runs the gamut with his guest list. You guys should really check it out. And he also does those fantastic kind of like, I don't know, solo Bill Burr-esque, Bill Burr-esque long-form rants where he can just go for like two hours, which I really envy. I used to do that on my old show, and uh, I would listen back to those sometimes, and I fucking hated them, but Mike's actually really good at it. So uh, with all that being said, we're going to leave you guys here. We're going to do our quote, and we're going to see you next week, Psychedelicasters. To finish this episode off, we'll leave you with a quote from the man behind the doors of perception, Mr. Aldous Huxley himself. The man who comes back through the door in the wall will never be quite the same as the man who went out. He will be wiser, but less sure. Happier, but less self-satisfied. Humbler in acknowledging his ignorance, yet better equipped to understand the relationship of words to things of systematic reasoning to the unfathomable mystery which he tries forever vainly to comprehend. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Psychedelicast. I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Mike Brancatelli of Mycadelic. Beyond that, as always, we very much appreciate you for joining us in the attempt to pry open the third eye. You guys take care. We love you.